and welcome to the June 2010 issue of Ordinary Means. Uh, I'm Sean Nolan, your host, uh, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean, how are you? Hey, Matt, uh, doing well, and we're also here joining us at the table today is Paul Minata. Hey, Paul. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. Well, Paul is, uh, some of you may not be familiar with Paul. Paul is a uh, friend of Matt and I's. He is a, uh, actually the son of a, uh, a friend as well. You were, um, I tell you, your mom's doing well. I didn't ask you this before we started recording. Uh, I've seen her on Facebook, so I know she's doing well that way. Um, she's active on Facebook. Um, but, yes. uh, Paul, you are, we're going to call you a layman theologian and philosopher. Does that work? Um, okay, that's fine. <laughs> we were Matt and I were debating this beforehand. We thought that would be the best, but I think as you're listening to the podcast, you're going to quickly find out that uh, Paul knows more than Matt and I put together. So it'll be well worth the conversation. <laughs> just just take it; it's a compliment. The um, so what we want to talk about this month is. Uh, this two kingdoms issue, we've we've talked about it from several angles over the past months. We uh, talked with Jack Kinnear, professor at uh, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh. Uh, we talked with Jason Stellman, author of Dual Citizens. We talked with Ken Myers on uh, the broader issues of church and culture. We had a whole podcast dedicated uh, to books on culture. And uh, I think somewhere in there, Matt and I even just rambled on um, with some of our own thoughts. Uh, but we wanted to pull Paul in here. Paul brings uh, some great expertise from uh, playing the, the online field and getting into some of the debates with some of the folks who are really thinking hard about these issues. And we wanted to bring uh, Paul in here and um, get his take on really where, uh, where the issues are. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we want to introduce Paul to you. So, Paul, why don't we start out? Uh, I know we talked about this a little bit beforehand. Can you just give us a, a brief testimony how how you got where you are? Maybe a little bit where you are. I know you're working towards uh, a philosophy degree, and um, why don't you fill us in on how you got here? Um, well, I'm the uh, the long, the broadest uh, story is I was a non-Christian and Matt Bowling. Um, you know, you know, on the coast there, he uh, co-host uh, t- to your show. He spent a lot of time with me uh, answering questions that I had about Christianity. So for those listening, maybe that that know me and wondered um, about my uh, move from uh, atheism to Christianity, Matt Matt's the guy who uh, spent um, the most time with me during that. Uh, time in my life when I was looking into Christianity, and then I, I went to uh, your both of both Matt and Sean's church in Poway. And Sean, I think you were there just for a little while until you till you left uh, um, to take a a job out there in Pennsylvania, I believe. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wanted to continue to um, uh, grow in my knowledge of. Uh, Christianity. I felt somewhat behind um, not being a Christian for so long, uh, not reading uh, the, the material that, that Christians were, and so I wanted to um, get a head start or get a uh, play catch up, I guess. Yeah. Um, and started reading a lot of um, uh, uh, Christian apologetics, 
uh, material as well as uh, philosophy. And eventually that, that road uh, was a few years uh, long, um, and now I'm in Michigan, um, and uh, I, as you said, trying to get a, uh, a degree in, in philosophy, um, and uh, hopefully see if we can take that uh, to the graduate uh, level. And um, that's kind of the broad um, overview of, of where I'm at uh, uh, today. Yeah. You're married with some munchkins? Yeah, married and have uh, three kids. So you, you played catch up that way in terms of trying to catch up with Matt and I. <laughs> right. Yep. You got the. I kept, I kept. I felt bad for always calling Matt. Um, pretty much every night, I think I called him for a while there and asking asking questions. Took him away from dinner time with his wife, and then he started having kids, and um, <laughs> I felt bad doing that. So I figured I, I had to start uh, you know, doing my own work. <laughs> doing your own work. So you uh, you did that. You're, when doing, you... you're doing a good work. Yeah. Good work. Well, Paul, one of the reasons that um, you and I have kept up over the years, even though we're now a little bit uh, in vastly different geographies, but um, a few weeks ago we were talking on the phone, um, getting ready to, to record this podcast, and you said that you had recently heard Don Carson, um, D.A. Carson, um, talk on issues of Christian culture, and, and I think he said then that he had basically sort of um, introduced the topic um, by saying that he thought that this was the most important issue for churches to wrestle to the ground right now. Um, is that, am I representing what you heard correctly? And, and do we kind of evaluate that for us? Right. Well, he, his, um, uh, his topic that he spoke on was, was not specifically on, on Christ and, uh, culture issues. Uh, it was actually a chapter, um, I believe he took it, took it from a chapter in his, in his new book, Scandalous. Um, I okay. Was, um, chapter chapter three, but it, it touched on that um, because part of his his talk had to do with uh, why uh, Christians are um, suffering today, or why the church might be suffering or facing persecution, and, and the reasons for that. And one of the reasons that he um, uh, that he uh, pulled from was uh, the involvement of. Satan attacking the church, and um, so he looked at Revelation and and um, uh, other themes in the Bible, and, and basically said that that was a, a neglected theme uh, for for why the church is is seeing uh, attacks and, and persecutions, and why it will always see it is because um, Satan is, uh, persecutes it and attacks it, um, and that was his broader uh, theme. But at the end of the uh, talk. Well, I think it was actually perhaps during the question and answer uh, segment, someone asked him what he thought um, some of the big issues of the church, uh, facing the church today were, and he said um, issues of Christ and culture um, is going to be the number one issue facing the church and how we, um, and, and, and how we develop um, an answer t- uh, to that question, a biblical answer. And he basically said pretty much everyone's just been um, jumping into uh, into that discussion only recently. I mean, of course, there's always been uh, there's been books on that subject, and, and people have talked about it. But recently, it's received a a um, uh, greater interest. And and he he wrote a book, you know, Christ and Culture Revisited, um, where he said that that's just my initial thoughts into it, but it's going to progress far beyond what I um, had even had, had um, written on the subject. 
And so that was the, the his his um, comment on Christ and culture, and uh, that he he sees that being uh, the uh, a number one or the number one issue that the church is going to have to face here in the coming years. Now, you you particularly like that book, um, having done a lot of online discussion and read other books and interacted with a lot of people in various positions in terms of the two kingdoms and Christ and culture issues. You you like Carson's book, is that right? Yeah, I really do. I, I, I like it because um, it's very, um, uh, well, as, as Mark Deaver says on, on uh, the back of it, um, uh, or Deaver says on the back of it, that uh, Carson explodes um, egregious reductionisms. And uh, so Car- Carson um, is very much uh, wanting to avoid uh, an all-or-nothing approach to Christ and culture, as you know. Uh, and, and by that I mean um, one particular answer is solving all of the problems um, and being some sort of a, a terra firma, you know, some solid ground from which all questions about Christ and culture that could possibly re- be raised can be answered. And Carson uh, basically says, um, "No, it's a lot more sophisticated and." Um, uh, and diverse than than that, and there's going to be many answers that can be given, um, or that should be given to many various t- uh, situations or circumstances that Christians will find themselves in, you know, with respect to culture. And um, so he, it seems like in that book, wanted to be very cautious and um, uh, not uh, go down one path uh, too far, and noted uh, a lot of the problems that that. Each of the various answers out there to to Christ and culture, Christ and culture face, and so it's just the the carefulness um, uh, that he dealt with the subject, and not wanting to avoid any uh, easy answers or reductionism. Um, that is what I, what I recall. I remembered. Um, uh, I particularly liked about that book. Okay. Now you mentioned, and I like this. I like this word reductionism um, because I do think that at the polls, if you will, on this debate, um, it is reductionism. It's 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 sort of um, selective reading of some passages in the Bible without really trying to wrestle with other ones that ought to be in play. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe we've done this before on the podcast, but I'd love for you to do this. Can you sort of uh, lay out the field for us? Um, of the different viewpoints that are sort of out there, uh, popular viewpoints in terms of Christ and, and culture, and even a, a charitably a proponent, um, if you can think of it. So sort of what are the viewpoints that are out there um, that people are, are holding to? Um, well, uh, of course it's going to be, would be highly uh, generalized, but um, I think you yeah. can maybe make, make three broad categories under which to place uh, various groups. And, and so one category, you, you could maybe call them the withdrawlers. So their view on, on Christ and culture, or how they should relate to culture, is one of withdrawal. Um, and here you would have um, perhaps uh, you know, an Anabaptist uh, tradition, um, or you know, Amish are, are of course uh, contemporary representatives of that tradition, where they, they totally withdraw from, I mean, as much as possible from interacting with culture, um, with with contemporary culture at at pretty much any level. Um, 
then another uh, pos- uh, position that you could have is we could maybe call them the participators. I know that's what um, a lot of Two Kingdom guys like to call their interaction with culture is is one of participation. So okay. um, they're they're just participating in culture, um, and the, in this in, in the participating. Um, uh, rubric we'd have maybe like the Lutherans or the the Reformed Two Kingdom approach, which you of course have contemporary defenders as David Van Van Drunen, um, R. Scott Clark, Michael Horton. All of them are at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. Then you have uh, Daryl Daryl Hart as well, um, uh, as well as a lot of uh, Christian bloggers um, that are that represent this this position. And as a they're based in culture. Right, they're just they're participating. They don't they um, are just joining hands, sort of, um, and getting their hands dirty with with people um, uh, from a, a wide um, across a wide spectrum of uh, theological uh, and political beliefs, um, and they're uh, joining hands with them in, in in a sense in bringing about maybe um, some peace or good. Uh, in the city and the culture that they that they live in, but it's not really anything distinctively Christian. They're not coming and saying, "Here's some distinctively Christian um, uh, philosophy that I'm bringing to bear and um, uh, and bringing against or in some sort of antithetical way." You know, the antithesis that um, Van Til or you know Bonson or people would talk about. Um, they're not coming with um, bringing an antithesis and, and making it a, a um, uh, a, a combative situation, but they're more just participating with with um, all sorts of um, different belief syst- systems, and they can do that, you know, as a Republican or a Democrat, and have a wide variety of of um, uh, beliefs on that matter. Because of, well, I think, part of it because of their view that um, that there is no distinctively Christian, you know, uh, handbook if you will, or blueprint for how to engage culture. Um, And then you have another uh, wide group, um, which is probably the largest of them, uh, which we can call, you know, the transformationalists. Um, Okay. And whether that word is, is, you know, it's not meant to be pejorative, but that's one of the terms in in the debate, and that's going to house a wide spectrum of people from your more fundamentalist, Type maybe uh, like Jerry Falwell's um, uh, Christian those, America, sort Christian of proud. America, right? Right and right, Christian America. Th- those types of transformationalists, um, and uh, to um, uh, maybe the opposite of the Christian right, maybe like the um, Christian left type um, uh, thinkers who want to transform things in terms of social justices, you know, and, and um, maybe more um, uh, do things along a what's typically considered a, a political liberalism uh, along those lines, you know, um, the political left, uh, their ideas of what needs to be done. So you'd have those people under the transformationalist. Maybe um, uh, a representative would be someone like um, uh, Greg Boyd, you know, the, the open theist, um, philosopher mm-hmm. and theologian, pastor of the, the megachurch, I believe, in, in Minnesota. Um, but he wrote, you know, his book, um, uh, The Myth of a Christian Nation. I think he'd uh, fit in that, in that realm, and they push um, uh, uh, 
for um, they, they, they point out that the Bible speaks of Christians and the kingdom of God as a peaceful kingdom. And so when we uh, interact with culture or when we try to transform culture, it's in a sort of a pacifist, pacifist way. Um, and this was also noted by Van Drun in, in his recent book, um, is that these transformers are bringing the king, kingdom um, uh, of God to bear on culture, and they're saying, well, the kingdom of God teaches um, about, teaches pacifism and peace and, and love, and so they um, say that that's how culture should be transformed. To, um, so anything um, hinting of maybe warmongering or, or uh, fighting um, should be avoided by the Christians. So you'd have them in the transformationalist section. Would they, would they also... dislike uh, hellfire or anything like that as well? Any type of any would type they... of strong preaching against sin would that be removed from that? Um, well, I, from what I've uh, heard of them, they're not as um, they certainly do seem to be a little bit more lax in that area. And again, mm-hmm. going back to um, uh, Greg Boyd, um, he says that it's unloving um, uh, to to you know, call um, uh, people heretics and sinners and um, uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, um, put people in those types of of categories, uh, or you have, I, I remember Michael Horton making the comment that when, um, uh, he's the pastor of the uh, church there in, in, um, the son of the pastor was, I can't remember his name right now. It's a church in the crystal cathedral. Yeah. Um, well, he, he was on Horton, the white horse Inn, and Horton was speaking about mentioning preaching sin. And he said, um, uh, well, I hope you don't, preach that to your people on Sundays. So I think there is some, and there's also um, universalists, a lot of universalists, I think, in that group, in this group as well, you know, you, um, uh, the theological belief that, that um, eventually all people will um, be reconciled to Christ and no one uh, will be in hell. Um, and there are certainly some universalists who I've found representing this this position, but I don't think it's, um, the position entails you know that that you have any specific view on on hell or or, or sin, um, mm-hmm. so that that might be uh, just a um, uh, they have some common interest. So you might find find a higher degree of those of of mm-hmm. people with those views on hell uh, in that group. Where, where does the then, but, where does the emerging church fall tend to fall in these three? Um, well, I'm not sure. Uh, if you can totally put them, um, you know, say that they definitely fall in one of the one of the three that they have to, just because the emergent church, as everyone's pointed out, is such a broad okay. category, and it looks like Jello, you know, how to <laughs> nail them down. What is the emergent, you know, ch- church? But if, yeah. but certainly, um, you have McLaren, um, Brian McLaren, who who is um, obviously a uh, representative of, I guess, of the emergent movement. Um, I, trying to uh, identifying himself with the um, with th- that um, uh, strand that that Mennonite and Yoder and, and hmm. that version of the bringing pe- um, you know, uh, it's all about uh, peace. Uh, Christ- the Christian kingdom is a peaceful kingdom, and so um, Christians should should be more uh, concerned about peace and love and just helping people, um, which of course is very very vague. Um, Mm-hmm. But so I think McLaren is in that. So you can 
Um, but I don't think, again, uh, that any any uh, tenant of emergent emergentism, if there is any, even if there is any tenant, entails any particular uh, position on. I, yeah, I think that you could be a consistent emergentist and and fall into an, any of those categories. Okay. Uh, but it's, in, in this sort of fascinating, what's that? Well, I was going to say, it's just sort of fascinating that in the, the transformationalist category, and I think you're right, but it's just interesting, I haven't thought about this, that you can have people across the entire political spectrum who would categorically be transformationalists, which is fascinating. Right. It's because it's They're so, approaching it the same um, way, but with different, different policies, because they envision maybe the role of Christians in society differently in terms of what they should be shooting for. Right, and it's such a broad and vague term, you know, to call someone a, to just say something is transformationalist or some person's transformationalist. Um, it's very, very broad. And so you can, uh, you know, what does that exactly mean? What does that entail? What, what is, what um, are the necessary, you know, and sufficient conditions to earn that title uh, transformationalist? And since, since it's so broad, you can fit so many so many people um, into it, and including the ones that I had mentioned. There's also, of course, the theonomists, and there's the um, the the, uh, the uh, probably the maybe the classical uh, Pur- Puritan view, um, which isn't necessarily theonomic, but they they are um, transformationalist in, in 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 some ways, and um, or then you have the guys like Vern Poitras and and John Frame who aren't theonomists, but also but would be transformationalists, would want to apply you know maybe the Bible more specifically to um, the cultural context than than would a New Kingdom uh, or a Two Kingdoms advocate. So the, mm-hmm. the transformationalist position is very broad. That just houses houses. Um, all sorts of people, and that's why I think it's somewhat difficult to just make criticisms of transformationalism because it's it's so broad that while you may hit on some versions of trans, uh, so you, you may be correct in critiquing some transformationalists. Does that really carry over into a critique of transformationalism per se? You know, maybe you can think of this in terms of model models or projects. So you could have maybe the project of transformationalism, and then you would have various models of that project. And while some critiques of transformationalism might be like model-specific critiques, they critique, you know, and they're right maybe against uh, some models, but do they transfer over to being a critique, a project critique, you know, being something that wipes out transformationalism per se as, you know, unbiblical? Right, right. So if we were to try and sort of summarize that broad category of transformationalism, it's, uh, in a sense, what you're saying is that the person's not a withdrawer, they're not a mere participant, they think that Christians somehow should have an effect on the culture. Um, They should be trying to move the culture in a certain direction. Now, they might disagree what that is, but they're trying to move the culture somewhere. And they'll have some view on, you know, uh, specific Christian, maybe specific Christian philosophy or um, specific Christian ethical theory or, you know, or theory of knowledge, like in specific Christian epistemology or something like that. So they usually seem to have um, uh, some sort of view that there's a specific Christian um, or the Bible gives us some... um, 
whether they be principles or explicit commands, um, that's another distinction we'd have to draw, but there'd be, the Bible gives us at least something, um, whether how vague of a something that is, whether it's in terms of like a general principle or, you know, going back like to the dietary laws, maybe something like a rush duty maybe would be much more um, specific in what we should uh, what we should glean from the Bible. But the transformationalists are going to have something like that, I think, some sort of specific Christian view on on these matters. Okay. Take those three categories for us, and if you would, tell us why you think, as people read the Bible, that they drop themselves into each of those categories. Um, well, so with think... our the participants, the transformationalists. Well, I think the the, the withdrawers will would read um, uh, the Bible and and they would they would read passages that, that this is you know not uh, that that they are not of this world um, or that um, you know they they note um, uh, passages about how the kingdom the nature of the kingdom um, uh, and their citizenship. Um, in that kingdom is something that's um, uh, totally other otherworldly, and since they are just citizens in that kingdom, and uh, culture is some somehow maybe uh, evil or it's sinful, um, and they shouldn't be tainted with it, and it's going to um, uh, it's going to affect them negatively in, in some way, um, and it's you know. Uh, it's there's would be various indictments against you know this culture. So you maybe look at um, uh, just various comments on on the way uh, that a non uh, uh, non Christian uh, mindset is. It's you know it's it's fallen. It's hostile towards God. Um, the natural man cannot uh, he he, uh, he cannot submit to the law of God. He hates God. Or Gentiles are vain in their reasoning, and maybe see these sorts of things as um, everything in the culture uh, is a product of that. And so, why would you want to be um, uh, tainted with that or affected by it um, about these things that are hostile towards God? Um, okay. So you would you would want to withdraw from that, maybe to protect yourself, um, maybe to engage in more because everything's about the, the spiritual and um, your communion with God or your relationship with God, and um, so you want to cultivate a you know a subculture that that fosters that kind um, of relationship, uh, and you'd have you know of course par- participators seeing. Um, well, they see that there's uh, this typological um, element to Israel and the Old, the Old Testament, um, and we are, and they view us as uh, as exiles. So they'll look at you know First uh, Peter, and they will um, uh, think of us as being exiles, and then look back at the uh, motifs of the church in the Old Testament, and when the church and the uh, Israel was in exile. How were, how did they uh, respond in culture? So you'll have you know Daryl Hart um, looking at um, Daniel 
and um, you know, other uh, exile-type passages as a model for how um, we should be in culture. So when they when the uh, Israel when Israel was exiled, they didn't uh, go and and uh, go to culture. You know the cultures they were they were placed in and uh, try to uh, enforce their um, uh, Israelite you know, laws on those cultures, they rather just were to live um, and seek the peace and the good of the city, um, and so Christians should model their, you know, their their engagement with culture on that exilic motif. Um, and then the Transformers are going to take passages like, uh, uh, you know, the, um, uh, we, there's a uh, war going on where the weapons of our warfare are mighty and we cast down these arguments. Um, uh, they're going to look at um, um, various passages that would, indi- that would seem to indicate that um, uh, maybe it's taking uh, you know, your salt and light and seeing, um, well, the salt has some sort of preserving effect and so we've got to go and... Um, Preserve culture um, and and um, uh, keep it from um, uh, denigrating in, into the um, uh, this to be as sinful as it could be. Um, so they'll, I think, look at various passages like that, or look at um, uh, passages in, in Revelation, which you know it looks like a, a, a critique, um, at least on political systems, whether. Um, uh, there, there's some sort of comments on the political uh, landscape, and so they'll they'll take passages like that and and um, and engage, you know, take that as a model for how they should engage uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, what are the things that um, each camp fears? So it's, it's always easier to sort of selectively read and not do what Carson's done. It's a great service to the church of really trying to be nuanced and not be reductionistic, to really look at all of it and try and pull it all together. And that's why I, we think it's, I, both of us think it's a very, very valuable book. Um, but what is, it, so when you stand in a certain spot and you sort of selectively read, you usually fear something. You're usually, you're not open to other positions because of what you think the implications might be. So can you do those three, sorry, I'm asking you to do something difficult. Can you do those three again? Um, but, but about what they fear and why it's easier to just stick with one of these instead of trying to recognize that they all represent aspects of the word, right? And, and if you do this well, we're just going to give you your philosophy degree right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot of pressure now. Um, uh, well, I think the, uh, it's, it's, of course, psychologizing a little bit, um, talking about what, what they fear, um, you know, and, and that, uh, of course, they're going to say, people are going to say, well, we have actual arguments for our position, and that's why we hold to it. Um, right. Uh, so I wouldn't want to, I don't want to, you know, make light of each position thinks that they have actual arguments and reasons um, mm-hmm. for their view, and they would say that needs to be engaged with. But I think there are some, uh, worries that they have that might be even informed by their arguments. Um, so, of course, as I mentioned earlier with the um, 
maybe the withdrawalers are going to have some sort of fear of some of uh, being uh, tainted or affected negatively um, by culture, um, and they're not going to sort of classic um, fundamentalism as well as uh, like you know Amish or Mennonite, um, right? I mean, classic fundamentalism, you know, was kind of like, you know, there was going to hell in a handbasket. Why even get involved? Right. 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 If you're, yeah. if, if, yeah, if, if culture is somehow, um, or just, you know, the everyday goings on of, of the world outside of the church or your Christian life, um, if that's just has nothing good to say for it and it's, um, it's m- mindset, um, if you will, that, uh, is, hostile towards God, uh, it's focused on anti-Christian, um, anti-pious things, um, like, you know, materialism or, um, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll, you know, things like that, that's going to right. affect their soul negatively and, um, and, and, and maybe show that, uh, and, and pull their allegiance away, um, that they have towards God, they're supposed to be, have this firm allegiance uh, to God where they, they're unwavering in, in their uh, love and devotion towards Him. And if you get involved, you know, in the, in the culture or the world, um, that, of course, it's, it has a powerful, you know, pull on people. Um, and mm-hmm. so that would take away from their single-minded, you know, devotion uh, to God or to Christ and um, to uh, living a life that's pleasing uh, before Him. So I think maybe they, they have that uh, sort of fear. That That's at least one fear they, that they might have um, with getting too entangled uh, in, in culture. Uh, I think the participators have... Um, or uh, what I was calling the participation of the Lutherans and two king reform two kingdom um, um, views they uh, they of course uh, make a lot about um, uh, the role of the church what its what its job is and um, the preaching of the gospel um, and they fear that that uh, is um, undermined in some way um, hmm. if you if you are on either a uh, withdrawal or or a um, transformer um, you're spending your time not um, uh, you're spending your time not preaching the gospel not um, the church isn't doing the, the job that it's supposed to do which includes as you know I think I agree with um, Jason Stellman I heard, I listened to some of the interview you had with him, which uh, when he said that the church includes the the preacher um, serving his people, preaching them the gospel, um, uh, re- refreshing them so that they can go out and then engage in culture with culture, get their hands dirty and love their neighbors and things like that, which of course the um, the withdrawers aren't going to like. Um, uh, they're not going to want to think that you should do that, and so. Um, uh, the participators fear that maybe um, the gospel is being watered down, it's not being preached enough, um, that there's um, uh, that there's uh, some sort of attempt to make a Christian um, blueprint about everything. So, you, you know, um, the Bible gives you, uh, of course, they say this, I, I think there's some, they get, 
carried away a little bit with the rhetoric sometimes, but when they talk about the Bible doesn't give us um, uh, a blueprint on plumbing, you know, there's no Christian way to turn, you know, to turn a wrench. Um, but they think maybe if you get if you go too far on the transformationalist um, sort of worldview, you know, Christian, there's a Christian view on everything. You're going to have some sort of a, a weird view like that, like a Christian plumber view, or just the, the, they have a, a fear that um, the goods um, of creation are going to somehow be forgotten, and, and you need to. Um, uh, Christianize everything. So you got to make Christian movies, Christian music, you know, and everything. Christian grocery stores, everything has to be Christian. Um, and they fear that that's somehow uh, downplaying uh, the goodness of creation. Um, and and so I think those are some general uh, fears that they have. And you know, the preaching of the, uh, the gospel, the watering down of it, uh, the confusions of. Uh, law and gospel, the um, uh, confusion of, of what church church is and what it's supposed to do. Um, another thing that Stelman mentioned, which I think was good, uh, which is a fear that they have, is that um, during the week, people have a, a, a view of um, of the culture where they have to be totally anti-culture, critiquing it in every in every way. But then when they go to church. Um, they make they have to make the culture really like it and show how hip and cool and relevant church is and so they flip flop those sorts of things um, and get it you know get it backwards in a way so I think um, those are some of the fears that they have um, and I think transformers uh, again that's very broad and their fears are going to be um, uh, diverse but they're going to have some basic fears that that um, that God's word isn't being uh, paid attention to; it's not being applied uh, to the world. Um, that there's, it says some things about um, about cultural matters, and we should take it seriously and apply it um, uh, to culture. Or they're they're going to uh, maybe if there's fe- there's fear that secular uh, this uh, secular world will um, will continue to progress and um, and push Christianity into the underground, which is going to have an effect on evangelism. Um, it's going to have uh, it's it's going to look like maybe like Europe uh, does today. And say, well, mm-hmm. this is what this dividing, you know, this wanting to to divide these these spheres um, and wanting to get uh, any specific Christian notions um, out of uh, an engagement with with culture. Um, a you know maybe a hardcore worldview attack on on culture. If you remove that, the, the secularist that's what they're doing. They have an attack. It's not just some neutral you know um, benign uh, force that's out there. That's not really uh, having. That doesn't really have any uh, specific desire to undermine Christianity to affect. Um, uh, the worship of God um, uh, that Christians might freely engage in. Um, if, if, if transformationalist principles aren't adhered to, uh, maybe something like that's going to happen, so we're going to look like Europe does in a few years, um, or, or maybe this, uh, t- uh, taking the Bible seriously, just in terms of we're supposed to be peaceful and, f- and um, 
and move towards um, certain uh, uh, peaceful uh, resolutions at pacifist type um, uh, behavior and in, in society and um, so if you if you if you're not taking the Bible seriously um, and uh, and 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 applying it to culture and trying to change at least in some way culture in a positive way, um, it's just going to degrade, which makes things worse for all, on all sorts of levels. You know, whether it's evangelism, whether it's you know abortion with and you know uh, children being murdered and. Um, uh, they they fear that if you um, withdraw from culture, you're not going to obviously care about that. Or if you have some sort of a view that you're just participating and you can't really make any uh, persuasive arguments, um, or you can't come with a strong uh, Christian Christian argument, you're not going to be able to argue for those sorts of things, and um, and and so things are going to degrade in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have had some conversation, Paul, over the last, oh, maybe six months or so, just talking about now if we just kind of narrow the scope down into the debates going on in sort of the reformed world, um, that in some ways your, um, your eschatology, your view of how this whole thing is going to turn out, um, and, and what, kind of, what kind of progress the gospel is going to make between now and then, um, to put it most broadly as possible, tends to have an influence in this. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, I think I think that it that it does. I mean certainly if you're um, I mean just to be uh, very broad, you know, if you're post millennialist and you think that the, the um, uh, world is going to be uh, highly Christianized and be a lot of Christians, um, you're going to 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 try to seek to do things to bring that about because you can bring God, you know to God uses means and um, and and you're going to view you know think that cult if everyone's Christian they're going to obviously not make certain types of movies maybe or certain types of music um, and uh, and so you're going to be more motivated maybe in that in that um, Way because you think it's going to be an a- something that's actually uh, going going to take place, but if you think that maybe there it's impossible that there's going to ever be any sort of a change like that, maybe you just say, well, why why would we even um, want to even try to do that? Um, but that's sort of a um, I guess a, a crass view. I know you've uh, hit on that um, a lot. Um, you know, and some of the emails and talks that we have that um, you you have some thoughts on that, and I know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that go, yeah, I, I think that's, that some of the this debate, and I've been surprised because I've sort of waded into it, well, we've been doing this maybe the last six or nine months, Sean, and um, yeah, I think about that, and I've had some interactions mm-hmm. online with some of the Westminster, California guys, and Sean, and, um, and Paul, and I, one of the things that has come out in those conversations is, um, and so broadly speaking, in the reform world, you're, you're not going to have a lot of dispensationalists. And it makes sense if you're a dispensationalist and you think the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, um, either to withdraw from it, as sort of you know classic fundamentalism did, or um, to say, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, and sort of panic and work at the cultural level, but not necessarily... 
I want to see that happen through gospel transformation of individuals who then go on and do gospel transformation of the culture, um, which is a more thoughtful way, I think, of, of transformation. I'm saying embodying a guy like Tim Keller. Um, but if you're a pessimistic amillennialist, so you think that this is the church age, you don't think the gospel is going to make too much progress in the world, you're pretty high on the exile model um, for, for what's going to happen, uh, sort of a remnant theology even. There's just going to be a few of us. The road's, the road's broad, but, but uh, or, you know, the, the way is narrow. Um, uh, many are called, a few are chosen. You know, if, if that's the way that you, um, if that's the syllable you put the emphasis on, um, and you're sort of a pessimistic amillennialist, it sort of doesn't even make sense to try and approach cultural issues because you really don't think that many people are going to come to Christ and you're n- never really going to have sort of a, a critical mass to work with. Whereas if you're uh, an, even just an optimistic amillennialist, which would be me, where you think that God, you know, um, that, that we ought to believe and pray uh, like Paul told, uh, or like God told Paul, uh, about Corinth. Hey, I got a lot of people in this city. I'm going to keep you here. I'm going to keep you safe. Um, that that we have that sort of viewpoint about what God's called us to. He's got a lot of people in the city for us to reach, whether it's Seattle or it's uh, Grand Rapids or it's um, uh, Pittsburgh for Sean. Um, and if we have that viewpoint, then when the gospel comes into someone's life, it renovates everything. Our Christ renovates everything, and so we'd expect that as people come to Christ, that the way that they themselves participate in culture is going to change, um, because there are some aspects that are idolatrous and, you know, shouldn't be followed and should be, um, you know, done in different ways. So I, I have been surprised that this is a, um, it's a bleed over in some ways among reform folks. And I would say that particularly, I don't know, um, a strongly two kingdom person that is either an optimistic amillennialist or a postmillennialist. And that was why I first sort of started putting this together, which is why I think accurately, Paul, you put the Puritans over in the Transformers, because they were at least optimistic amillennialists, and some of them were thoughtful postmillennialists. Um, and I think that if you think, if you believe that God's going to save a number of people in a geography, it is inevitable that the culture of that geography is going to change. All you have to do is look at Ephesus in the Book of Acts. That, that wasn't them sort of trying to force something on the culture. It was something that happened because the idolatry of the people ceased, and they started delighting in God and living for Christ, and, well, it threw the economy in, it, in an uproar um, because of the changed lives of the people. So that's the kind of thing I, I guess I was thinking about. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, here's, here's what I think. I think that since the issues are so... Um, Broad and the terms that are used by a lot of the a lot of the sides, and uh, specifically, uh, I'm going to mention you know the two two kingdom uh, side right now because they're you know, they're kind of even though you know Van Drunen obviously says there's there's this uh, historical um, pedigree that he can point to, it's still right now it seems to have some sort of a resurgence going for it. Um, it's um, you know, there's there's books being published on it uh, that have been published on it recently, and it really hasn't been um, what we're hearing now hasn't been you know what we've heard um, well, what we've heard in Christianity. If you've you know um, read books on this general subject for you know for a, a long time, so um, 
I'm just going to kind of bring them up um, because I think they're they're new um, in, in this sense that they're just getting their their um, becoming you know uh, players in this debate. I guess uh, bigger bigger players now, even though we can you know grant. Um, Van Drunen's thesis that that this is, this is a historic reformed um, position, and so 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 what I think is that since the terms that a lot of the two kingdom people use when they're they're trying to argue for the for their um, position, it's very um, vague, and since it's so. Uh, since some of the terms they're using are so vague, when I just mentioned transformationalism, um, or um, someone, uh, or you know, the, all, the, the the transformationalists are trying to redeem culture, and so that's a bad you know term to use because that's just something Christ does for for people or or something like that. Um, since those terms are so um, vague and broad, nothing really specifically um, can be uh, in t- follows. From that, you can't say, well, um, uh, the critiques that the two kingdom people are offering, you can't, um, they're, they're so vague that they can't be applied to any form of transformationalism whatsoever because there's, there's um, ways that you can parse that out uh, that, don't, that aren't affected by their critiques, I think. And mm-hmm. so when they make these critiques, like there's no Christian view of this or that, um, a lot of times what I found is that they make these level confusions. They make an error at level. Well, uh, at, uh, of course, there's no Christian plumber in the sense of turning a wrench a certain way. Or maybe, of course, there's no Christian philosophy in that the Bible doesn't, you know, give us this explicit, well-worked-out, um, you know, here's specific answers on... Um, epistemology and ethics, you know, and metaphysics and, you know, answering all these questions uh, that, that philosophers have today. It, there's certainly nothing like that in the Bible, um, but are there, uh, at, the, at a higher level, are there meta-issues, right, like meta-ethics or uh, meta-epistemological claims? Can we find that in the Bible? And... Um, mm-hmm. If you can, that's and that's what I think that that a lot of transformers, or transformationalist type uh, uh, thinkers um, are appealing to uh, things at the meta level. Um, so they're not trying to say that there's this detailed blueprint of anything in the Bible. Um, and of course, there's been some that do that. You know, Van Drunen in his book points out the reformed goat breeders society or something like that. They they they, they do this goat breeding. And they try to apply principles of the Reformation to the details of goat breeding, or this Christian, uh, Christian football team. You know, they 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 try to apply Reformation um, principles and make a reformed or Christian football program at a at a uh, Christian reformed college. Go fight, win. That's the reform yeah, principle, well, you, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you might be able to find some people like that. Yeah. You might be able to find some. Odd, uh, or some uh, fundamentalists, you know, who make some silly claims, but that's not really representative, I think, of more uh, sophisticated adv- advocates of of those positions. So, I just think that that, that a lot of what goes on in the debate is just really unhelpful um, mm-hmm. because I, I don't see that a lot of. And again, I'm just picking on the two kingdom here, but I'm not a 
theonomist or I'm not a withdrawal or anything like that. Um, at least I, I'm sure maybe some two kingdom people would, would say that, that I am, but, um, at any rate, that, what, um, I think a lot of what, what is said is, is unhelpful just because it's, there's such complex issues. Um, and it seems to me when, at least when you look on things in the discussions, you know, on, on blogs or things like that, or maybe more popular level books, uh, people are attacking, um, just highly generalized positions that hardly anyone holds to, or if someone holds to it, they're like, you know, Appalachian Mountain, you know, fundamentalists <laughs> that right. aren't right. a serious criticism, you know, a serious person mm-hmm. to, to criticize. You can criticize, you know, Osteen all you want, but is that really a serious, you know, a sophisticated proponent of, 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 Transformationalism? No, I yeah. don't think so. So, is that right, is that, right. is that really That's helpful? That's been my biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let me ask one last question, Paul, because we're getting here towards the end. Um, you um, you like Rodney Stark's The Rise of Christianity, um, which is a book that we'd, we'd recommend to people to read. Maybe we can put a link to it on the blog. But um, how do you think that book by a sociologist? Okay, so it's not a theologian, it's not a philosopher, this isn't a, a, a historian of, of theology or, or even a historian of, of this particular issue of church and culture. This is a sociologist, this is an observer. Um, but, but how do you think the insights that he's brought in that book, The Rise of Christianity as a Sociologist, how do you think that, that, that factors into this debate? Oh, well, I mean, just broadly, I think it shows that Christians were a lot, the early church, um, was a lot more "quote unquote" transformationalist than maybe uh, two kingdom uh, people would 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 want to admit. Um, they the early church was involved and tried to make positive changes and was noted for making positive changes um, to to society when everyone else um, was backing away from all the, you know, the pagans were backing away. And even there were, um, pay, um, uh, there were calls towards, to, for non-Christians to try to keep up with what the Christians were doing because the Christians were putting everyone to shame in terms of, you know, when plagues would, would come through and how they would uh, care for uh, people um, uh, and had their treatment of women, their views on abortion, and um, uh, a lot of cultural, uh, you know, questions of the day, they took a specific um, stand on and tried to change things. Um, you know, one could say f- for the better. They tried to. They they thought that um, certain um, cultural views on women or whatever should be should be changed, and they they made no. Um, they didn't hi- you know hide that, and even some early. Or anti-Christian apologetics, by uh, like Celsus, for example, he would argue that um, Christianity was a, whim- a religion of women and children, which was supposed to be a critique on uh, of Christianity because back then, you know, that that represented a weakness of your of your uh, of a philosophy or religion if it was filled with just women and children, um, right? Of course, because men uh, were all that were listened to, you know, even in court trials, you didn't, you, you wouldn't listen to a woman, um, you know, 
uh, testifying in court because they were just untrustworthy and you know lower way down in the, the, the social ladder. But uh, so the, the, they were criticized for being a religion of women and children who they didn't um, buy into the typical uh, cultural. Um, uh, views on that, and they also um, sought to do things uh, to change those um, the attitudes I think that culture had. So I just think generally Stark at least provides some um, descriptive uh, accounts of how the early church um, uh, behaved in matter in cultural matters, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you can't make a you know you can't make the, the a straight argument from that, from pointing out some descriptive features, because of course, you know, uh, people can say, well, um, they were, they had it wrong. You know, you could, uh, for example, Baptists might argue, you know, look at everyone they baptized were adults. That's all the examples that we see. Um, so just because you see these examples, it's nothing follows um, uh, straight away from that to any transformationalist conclusion, but I think at least what it shows is that um, the two, uh, sort of a maybe a non-transformationalist, um, um, and we're speaking really broad and, and sloppily here, but because uh, there's so many views within that, but a non-transformationalist um, view wasn't obvious from the Bible, you know, because Christians obviously didn't weren't doing that, so it's not something that jumped off the page that was some sort of obvious uh, reading from the text, um, it seemed that Christians were a lot more, um, Stark shows, I think, you know, that Christians were a lot more engaged in transforming and changing uh, culture rather than just, it didn't seem like they were just participators. Well, you, you could make mm-hmm. the argument that the uh, the early Jews, uh, one of their great errors with, was that they were not as transformationalist as God had called them to be. They were not. They didn't have a view to the nations. They only had a view toward their uh, their little pocket. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think that's uh, right. So um, now, yeah. Paul, have you have you read um, what is it, uh, James Davison Hunter's book to change the world? I have not. Okay, just curious. Thought I'd thought I'd ask it. I know that's one that's popping up uh, a good deal in this in this culture argument because um, I know he's interacted a bit with. Uh, I don't know if he's interacted with Carson. I know he's interacted with uh, Andy Crouch and his book Culture Making. So um, have you? And uh, do you know a I, general position he takes? You or? know, it, it's a new it's a new position. It's sort of the the third way book or the the book that comes out and says you've all been thinking wrong about culture. I haven't read it yet. Just curious if mm-hmm. you had had a chance to look at it. Um, when you do, when you do, I'd be curious to get your um, your feedback on it. Okay. Yeah, it would be neat, Paul, if um, if we could have you back on. Maybe once you read um, Hunter and once you finished up um, sort of Sutta's book, it, it would be interesting if you could kind of come in and give us a, a little bit of a sense um, in terms of natural law, because there's not um, certainly we didn't spend a lot of time on that in seminary. It wasn't a high emphasis at that time in the professors that I had, although that's showing a resurgence. Obviously, with Van Drunen's book and Sutta's book and. Uh, it'd be interesting once you sort of process those two, and maybe Hunter's, if you came back on and kind of gave us a, a new lay of the land in terms of the new literature that's out there, that would be neat to have you back. Well, Michael Suddits is on um, natural theology, so it's not on okay. natural law, but that that's an, uh, the interesting part, I think, uh, thing about Suddits' book is it, 
a lot of the arguments that you can make for natural law um, could be made for natural theology, but it seems that most, at least now, at least currently, most of the natural law uh, Westminster guys don't want to affirm natural theology. Um, but it, it would be uh, interesting to see how they could avoid it, uh, given the arguments, given their arguments for for um, natural law, and mm-hmm. and and uh, furthermore, Suddeth's, uh book I think makes a lot, even though it really has nothing to do with with this with this um, culture, uh, to- this topic on on culture and, and natural law. But of course, I think that there are some things in it that are that are um, interesting that can be applied to this debate. So he can have uh, what he calls the do- uh, dogmatic theory of natural um, theology, where it can be derived or even based on scripture, and he offers several ways that that could be understood. And so, I, and I think um, so to bring that back to the natural law question, a lot of what he says can be applied to natural. Um, to the natural law question. Um, and so it seems kind of weird then to say, you know, well, these, these transformationalists, they, they're wrong for trying to base their view on Scripture or something like that, you know, some, some uh, claims similar to that, when um, you can do the same thing with, with uh, natural law. And indeed, it, it obviously is based on, you know, Scripture, because when you read some of the books arguing for it, they're giving verses and giving examples from the Bible of people who um, used you know, of, of natural law at work. So they're, they are verifying it from, you know, from Scripture. And so I think those, those are the sorts of things that I find interesting in this debate, to just those um, questions of what I think are maybe inconsistencies or what I was mentioning earlier about the, the meta-level issues. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I find most interesting about this debate. Yeah. So and, maybe and, if we if I do come on again, maybe we can talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be fun. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. This is this has been great. It's been very thoughtful. Uh, it's been very helpful to get some of these categories nailed out as well as see uh, why we're getting so much conflict. Um, why there's uh, guys in in various positions who who all have good ends and and in many cases biblical ends and need to. Maybe we need to come together a little bit more uh, in talking about this culture issue and see where find the points of agreement. I think you've done that by removing some of the re- uh, by removing the reductionism. And appreciate that. Uh, appreciate you hanging out sure, with sure. us for the past hour. So uh, we'll thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. We'll be uh, we'll be talking to you more. So okay. we'll thank you all for. Uh, listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue Him through His ordinary means. 